Focus on the Voice of America. I'm Nabil Biagio in Washington, working on this program via remote. Here are some of the top stories making news across South Sudan this Friday, July 8, 2022. 60 people have been killed in a cattle raid in South Sudan's eastern Equatorial state. They used uh, from uh, Murle. They came and uh, raided uh, some big big, big, two canals in the different uh, villages of Kopoita North. Uh, as I'm talking right now, uh, there is a very big loss from the cattle uh, raiders. And some lawmakers in South Sudan's Unity State say the dredging of River Nam should proceed. The rivers are completely uh, blocked. They are not accommodating water. The water is not flowing easily as usual. Now, the flooding is just invading the areas that have been flooded before. We will have these stories and more coming up on South Sudan in Focus. Eastern Equatorial State authorities say at least 60 people were killed and dozens of others were wounded during cattle raids in Kapoita, North County on Wednesday and Thursday. A state official says security forces were dispatched to the area to contain the situation. Deng Deng reports for VOA from Bor. Eastern Equatorial State Information Minister Patrick Oting says hundreds of armed young men suspected of having crossed from the neighboring Greater Pibor administrative area attacked villages in Kapoita North County. Oting says the cattle raids which began on Wednesday continued on Thursday. He says most of the dead are the assailants. They use uh, from uh, Murle. They came and uh, raided uh, some big, big, big two canals in the different uh, villages of Kopoita North. They took uh, those cows, uh, but on the fighting, when the youth from Kopoita North uh, followed them, there was a very severe uh, fight uh, between uh, the two, between the youth of the Kopoita North and the cattle uh, raiders. Uh, as I'm talking right now, uh, there is a very big loss from the cattle uh, raiders of, I think, around uh, fully 50. And, uh, and uh, from the north, uh, the dead ones uh, are 10. And then uh, we have also some uh, injured, uh, wounded people uh, on the both on the both sides. Oting says the raiders stole about 15,000 head of cattle and headed towards Pibor. Oting condemned the attack and called on the Greater Pibor Administrative Area Authorities to track down and arrest the perpetrators. These are the life of the national of the Republic of South Sudan. So it affects all of us. Every life that lost, whether single life, actually is a loss this nation. So uh, my message actually to the leaders of the Greater Pibor that they should be able to sit with their youth down and able to advise them, you know, advise them. So uh, this issue of the raiding of unnecessary killing, it is not, a, it is not helpful. Lokalia Mayor, Chief Administrator of the Greater Pibor Administrative Area, says he is aware of the incident, discussed it by phone this morning with Eastern Equatorial State Governor, Liszt Lobong. 
they give me report about this, but there is not any use right greater before. They told me there is a collaboration, there is a use of greater before with uh, his own people, like uh, people of Boya uh, and, uh, and collaborate with them. Actually, I heard that there is a lot of casualty people lose their lot of them, they lose their life, but no one arrived with a casual in area. A mayor condemned the attacks and urged authorities in eastern Equatoria to join his administration in fighting cattle raiding and child abduction. A mayor says he alerted security forces in his area to monitor the affected villages and to capture the suspects should they arrive in Pibor. We have to cooperate and put our hand together. We don't support each one because depending on the state, this thing don't take us nowhere. Right now we're receiving our independent day. Uh, we have to reward our heroes who are giving life for this independent day to think about development, not thinking about those steel and cattle raiding and all these things. We have to do a lot of effort for development and we have to control our youth to with our youth to stop doing that bad activity so we can think forward, uh, do like vocational training and education and road and water and health to do what they need to our heroes who have their life for independent so they can see that they lose their life for something. The mayor says he has been conducting a peace campaign in Greater Pibor to sensitize young people about seizing all forms of hostilities, including cattle raids, child abduction and road ambushes. He says such violence threatens humanitarian activities in the area and the peaceful coexistence with neighboring communities. Cattle raids, revenge killings and child abduction have become a common occurrence in parts of Eastern Equatorial State, Jongle State and the Greater Pibor Administrative Area despite many goodwill agreements signed by the communities involved in recent years. For VOA News, I am Deng Gaiden in Bor. Some Unity State lawmakers are advocating for the dredging of River Nam, saying flooding has affected residents for years, causing mass displacement, sickness and snake bites. Manyang David Mayar has more for VOA from Juba. Reached by phone from the Unity State Capitol, Bentiu, Deng Mon, a member of parliament in the State Legislative Assembly, says the highly controversial project of dredging of the Nam River should continue as planned to solve the problem of recurring floods, which occurs nearly every time the Nam River overflows. The rivers are completely uh, blocked. They are not accommodating water. The water is not flowing easily as usual. Now the flooding is just invading the areas that have never been flooded before. If these areas, if these tributaries and river are opened, then they will accommodate. They will take more water. The flooding will reduce. A week ago, South Sudan's Vice President James Waniga, who heads the government's economic cluster, said the South Sudan Council of Ministers approved the dredging in September 2021. Mon says the government made the right decision to dredge the Nam River because it will save lives in Unity State. Now 90% of the land in the Unity State is under water. And also the 90% of the population of the, of the state are submerged by the water. It, it, it destroyed uh, all the livelihoods uh, of the local communities. 
uh, including the livestock, uh, cropping, and there are so many uh, cases of snake bite. If the dredging is, is, is done, it could help because more, more water will flow into uh, their original places. Several scholars in the country oppose dredging the Nam, saying it will waste water resources and put the nation at risk in the future. Abraham Kualinyuan, a lecturer at the University of Juba, says based on the studies he has seen, dredging the Nam could cause a huge negative impact on Unity State residents. I could say from the presentation of the scholars that had been done today, it, it shows that mostly dredging is meant to increase the flow of water, and, and probably that could have happened that if this thing is done, there's going to be, in fact, an increase in flow of water, which is going also to remove a volume of water to other areas. That is one. Secondly, it is going to uh, mostly is supposed to disturb the aquatic inhabitants of, of that area whether being fish or being kind of reptiles that exist there or kind of animals that stay along the river, probably you will disturb their existence there. And that thing is really going to, 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 to be a little bit problematic. Kual also says dredging will not stop flooding in the area. He says the construction of dikes is one of the best ways to stop repeated flooding. Jalpok, another member of parliament in the Unity State Legislative Assembly, disagrees, saying flooding should be addressed now. If we consider the impact that may happen in the future and the current situation, uh, we may say that as for now, we are in a critical situation. Yes, it may have an effect, which we are not quite sure of, but due to the, 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 the present problems, it is really a challenge because if we continue like this, we don't know what will happen next year. Kalain Bolis, a youth leader in Unity State, says he and several other citizens signed a petition calling on the government to allow the dredging of the Nam River to continue as planned. We have lost many lives. Many people are being displaced. Homes are being deserted. So it is very hard. We are requesting the government or all the concerned authorities that the dragging of the NAM can continue. And that is the view, not only me, but on behalf of the youth, we are agreeing that the NAM should be dragged. Rod George, another youth leader from Unity State, also says the dredging should continue. So we say human life, but not resources. Those who are dying today, you never know. Maybe they are the people who are going to help this country tomorrow. So let the dredging continue now. Anybody who wanted to stop must provide alternative solution now, not tomorrow. Human life and dignity first. George says those opposed to dredging the river Nam are against the people of Unity State and don't care about their lives. For VOA News, I'm a young David Mayer in Juba. A joint United Nations South Sudan Environmental Report calls on the government to take urgent action to protect the Sud wetlands. The report, entitled A Rapid Assessment of the State of Sud Wetlands Ecosystem in South Sudan, says the country faces a myriad of challenges on environmental governance due to a lack of policies, laws, and guidelines related to wetland conservation. Waki Simon Wudu has more for VOA from Juba. 
The report says despite the values associated with the Sut wetlands, which is one of the largest fresh water ecosystems in the world, the South Sudan government has done little to protect it. While presenting the report in Juba on Tuesday, environmental consultant Peter T. Gelruth said the document provides the latest scientific information that underpins the various management plans regarding the ecological, hydrological, and agricultural aspects of the Sut wetlands, which the South Sudan government should implement. The government of South Sudan should adhere to the core principle of water for the South Sudanese people and ecosystems first. South Sudan has no management plan for the Sut wetlands, according to the report. It says current data underlying the hydrodynamics of the Sut is weak and raises more questions than it answers. The report suggests a wetland inventory be undertaken to gather data and build a supervisory and a regulatory capacity for the protected areas of the Sut wetlands. Again, Peter T. Gilruth. The second recommendation is to deploy an early warning system for flood and drought, including upgrading hydrometeorological services, both regional and national. Lastly, capacity building must be a part of any research exchange with other countries. The report says, considering the value of natural resources and their contributions to the country's overall ecosystem, which affects pastoralists and livestock, the South Sudan government should promote policies that maintain the healthy functioning of the Sut wetlands by protecting and restoring the goods and services they provide. Gelruth says the government should promote rigorous environment and social impact assessments based on credible scientific information before embarking on various infrastructure projects. One of the key recommendations of this environmental assessment is that the government of South Sudan implement its commitment to the Ramsar Convention by conducting baseline surveys. This commitment was made, but not yet completed, due to insecurity. South Sudan is a signatory of the Ramsher, a convention on wetlands of international importance. In 2006, the Shute Wetlands was designated by UNESCO as a Ramsher site, a global intergovernmental treaty that provides the framework for national action and international cooperation for the conservation and wise use of wetlands and their resources. Joseph Africano Battelle, the Undersecretary of the Ministry of Environment and Forestry, says the latest assessment conducted by his ministry in collaboration with the UN Environment Program aims to educate South Sudanese and outsiders about the value of the Sut wetlands. As the Ministry of Environment, we decided to launch or to, to have a rapid assessment in order our people will have more information about the importance of the suit in our country, regionally and internationally. The suit is one of the largest fresh water ecosystems in the world. It covers 57,000 square kilometers, which varies with the seasons and the extent of the Nile flooding. It is internationally recognized for its unique ecological attributes that include various endangered species, antelope migrations, and palliatic migratory bat populations. The report estimates the value of the suit wetlands at 3.3 billion U.S. dollars. 
It also has non-economic values such as its role in supporting the culture and a unique wildlife in South Sudan. For VN News, I'm working Simon Wudu in Juba. You're listening to South Sudan in Focus on the Voice of America. A South Sudanese former community leader in the United States says, Most people in the diaspora who worked hard for the independence of South Sudan are disappointed by the state of affairs in the country. Jane Kani says the leaders of the country have forgotten promises they made to South Sudanese during the struggle for independence. I think there are so many things that went wrong. Because when we struggled for our independence for so many years, and then people voted in 2011, and then they have their country, we expected our leaders actually to fulfill the dreams of our people, provide health, education, good roads, and uh, provision of uh, food and everything, and security and peace. But they didn't get that. And I think what went wrong is the fact that our leaders actually didn't follow the promises that they promised the people of South Sudan that they're fighting for a better South Sudan. So instead of doing that, they started to fulfill their own political and personal interests. So most of the resources that are supposed to support building the roads and uh, infrastructure, uh, developing the agriculture, because South Sudan is full of uh, natural resources, and it can actually become a food basket for the whole of the East Africa, because we have fertile land, but the resources actually were diverted to personal interests where people started to enrich themselves, especially the leaders. You were very instrumental in mobilizing people for to vote for the independence of the country. Mm-hmm. How do you feel after 11 years of having achieved independence and nothing is working at home? How do you feel? I feel sad because when uh, the independence actually happened, uh, I was interviewed by the New York Times. And I, my wish was that I want to take my two children to South Sudan to see my mom because my, my dad passed before the, during the war and also to see the country that I came from. But unfortunately, I, did, I couldn't do that because of the situation in, in South Sudan, uh, the insecurity. Uh, and South Sudan actually is worse off today than it was during the war. And, and that actually made people like, like myself, who actually worked hard and uh, voted for the independence of the country, in the diaspora here because the United States actually allowed South Sudanese who are living in the diaspora to participate in the referendum or vote of South Sudan. And that actually make it very hard for us because we dreamed of having that country after a long struggle. Another question is what should South Sudanese have done differently to avoid finding themselves in this vicious cycle of violence? I think uh, I always go back to when South Sudanese were fighting for independence. And what united us during that time was the Northern Sudan. We saw the North as our main enemy. But at the same time, there were some differences within or among the South Sudanese people. But we are able to put those differences aside to fight for our independence. So the first thing that South Sudanese should have done is to sit down actually and address some of the internal differences that existed among South Sudanese. And at that time, the CPA actually 
uh, proposed a, a reconciliation and a dialogue, and they started that South-South dialogue. But that South-South dialogue actually didn't include all South Sudanese. It focused on a specific group of people. But if that dialogue actually included all South Sudanese people, both men and women and everybody within the country, and those who are living in the diaspora, we should have reached to a better uh, future. We should have set our goals on how to actually improve the life of South Sudan because South Sudan was not developed even when it was under uh, Sudan. So we should have put our programs together, especially the education program, because education is key to everything in, in, in this world. And for women's education, is very important because our women are not educated. We should have put our health policies well so that we have good hospitals, good doctors, and good uh, dispensaries in all the villages that we have in, in South Sudan. We should have put our agricultural uh, sector in a better position so that we don't depend. South Sudan should not depend on the neighboring countries for food, for tomatoes, for all the vegetables that are eaten in South Sudan are brought from the neighboring countries. But we didn't do that. South Sudanese are going to celebrate the 11th anniversary. How do you feel on that day, July 9th? There's nothing to celebrate. Maybe we celebrate the day that we voted for independence. Maybe that's the only thing. But the outcome of the independence is not reflected in the lives of people today. Majority of our people are living in the refugee camps. And some of them actually return to the same refugee camps that either their parents or they themselves actually stayed at those camps, like in Kakuma camp, in uh, camps in, in Uganda like Bidibidi, like uh, in Befi, in Ajumani. Some people actually return to the same camps that they have been there when they were young. And that's not uh, what should be celebrated. I think on that day, on the 11th uh, anniversary of South Sudan... On the 9th. On the 9th, I mean. Okay, on the 9th of, uh, anniversary of the independence of South Sudan, people really have to sit down and reflect on how to change the situation that's currently in South Sudan. That's Jane Kenny, a former chairperson of the Equatorian South Sudanese Community Association in the United States. She also teaches history and African studies at Fordham University in New York. She spoke with my colleague John Tanza during a South Sudanese conference in the U.S. state of Minnesota. South Sudanese living in Rombek of Lake State have expressed their views and feelings about their country's 11th birthday coming up tomorrow. South Sudan Focus reporter William Sunday Mabor spoke to some of them. Here's what they had to say. As a, a citizen of South Sudan, when I look at from the, the duration of 11 years that we spent, it looked like we are independent. We feel like educationally, uh, South Sudan is like the rest of the countries in the world. South Sudan is compete with other countries, other independent countries. When we look at uh, the infrastructure of South Sudan in comparison the recent years or some decades, when we look at all those things that were not there before, we have uh, educational institution in South Sudan. Now, the five uh, universities that were there, they were increased in number to 11, uh, I think, the 11 institutions, uh, public institutions now, recognized by the government. So when we look at all those things, then those are what we call independent. Actually, now I'm in school, it is because I'm independent as a girl. But if it is by that time, no education in South Sudan, I think. You either go to Sudan, and if you go to Sudan, they, they used to teach you what, what is not right. And they say what is right for the, for the Sudanese. But now we learn what is, what is exactly needed in our country.
there are negative and positive outcomes of South Sudan independence. First of all, we got our independence. We are free, first-class citizens in our country. Only that we have never managed our resources as required in the manifesto of a liberation struggle. We, we fight the war. We got the independence and brought our, our country. And we again rebel within ourselves. That has caused a lot of uh, economic crisis. It has caused a lot of pains. It has caused a lot of a lot of lives. Since the independence, now I think things have changed a bit. Girls are given opportunity, and not only girls, even women and what. Everyone knows his or her own rights. And the country is even developing as South Sudanese. We are proud of our country since there are a lot of changes. There were a lot of wars, fame, but at least now things have changed a bit. There is peace. Yeah, as a citizen of South Sudan, I feel good that we have an independent country. And uh, however, I feel discontented with the situation. Every Independence Day finds us in as South Sudanese, because as we expect to be celebrating our independence, we end up hearing that the independence celebration is postponed due to lack of budget and all this. To my opinion, it is not right because. Every activity of the government is supposed to be in the budget and uh, the budget is supposed to be followed as done by the Ministry of Finance. However, it really beats my understanding to hear that the independent celebration is postponed because uh, there is no budget, because we have challenges here and there. I don't uh, really feel good when I hear my government failing here and there. For me, I really feel good. I feel special because I belong into this country and I'm proud to be a South Sudanese girl. Sometimes I can feel sad. Roads are not good for us. I feel proud because seeing you are independent, you feel like you do everything without being uh, restricted or being uh, guided. But very unfortunate, that independent we got, we fail to get what we want as citizens, especially there are the things we need, it's like education, health, good roads, and also moving freely in your own place where you are independent. So those things have become a problem and God will do something for us. I feel very happy since we got our independence. We have freedom of movements. We have freedom of education. We have freedom of peace in our country. We do our own things without someone seeing in it. Now I'm a citizen. We achieve many things. We have a development. Like now we are continuing developing our country. Instead of teaching, as a teacher, we are teaching. Pupils and some they have become professors, doctors, within our own syllabus of South Sudanese. Those were the voices of South Sudanese living in Rumbek, sharing their feelings about South Sudan's independence anniversary coming up tomorrow. Next, an editorial reflecting the views of the United States government. Russian forces are attempting to annex the Kherson Oblast in southern Ukraine via appalling abuses of human rights, said Ambassador Michael Carpenter, U.S. permanent representative to the Organization for Security and Cooperation in Europe. Kherson has become part of what I've called the Kremlin's laboratory of horrors. We're seeing the Kremlin executing on their playbook of trying to absorb Ukraine into Russia.
There are chilling reports that some 600 people are being detained in the Kherson region in specially equipped basements that serve as torture chambers. Those detained include local officials, journalists, civil society activists, and those whom the Russian forces have identified as having participated in pro-Ukraine rallies in Kherson and its region. In addition, residents of Kherson are reportedly subjected to humiliating identity checks and often violent questioning. Russia's forces are rounding up the local civilian population, detaining them in detention facilities or filtration points, and interrogating them for any supposed links to the Ukrainian government or to independent media outlets. This process reportedly can involve several days of detention and interrogation before Russia's forces determine who to kill, torture, detain indefinitely, or forcibly relocate to Russia. Russia is installing its own puppets and proxies in parts of the Kherson region under its control, much as it did in 2014 and 2015 in Donetsk and Luhansk, reported Ambassador Carpenter. Meanwhile, the Russian government is sabotaging or cutting off Internet access in the Russia-controlled territories to deny people the ability to acquire reliable information, to conduct financial transactions, or to communicate. In the schools, principals are being forced to shift to a Russian Federation curriculum, though many are refusing to go along at great cost to their own safety. Economically, Russia is trying to set the stage for future annexation as well. Locals are forced to use the Russian ruble and to register their commercial properties with the new puppet administrations. Russia is violating the UN Charter and contravening all 10 principles of the Helsinki Final Act, declared Ambassador Carpenter. The United States believes that Russian President Vladimir Putin and his forces must be held accountable for the horrific atrocities being carried out in Kherson and elsewhere in Ukraine. That was an editorial reflecting the views of the United States government. We have a special announcement for listeners. Join us tomorrow, July 9th, for a one-hour special edition of this program hosted live from Juba by my colleague John Tanza from 6.30 p.m. to 7.30 p.m. Again, that date is tomorrow, Saturday, July 9th, 2022, from 6.30 p.m. to 7.30 p.m. And that's all we have for you this Friday. Thanks for allowing us into your homes, cars, and on your phones. Join us again tomorrow for our special edition of South Sudan in Focus from the Voice of America.